How we doing, mates? Welcome back to The Top Step. My name is Ryan Roland-Smith. Have a really, really fun episode this week. I get to catch up with someone who I consider him a friend, but someone who has really helped me out, uh, especially in the broadcasting realm, uh, and really gave me the ignition to get my career started in the beginning. Uh, CJ Nikowski, he's been on Fox MLB Whip Around. He's written for MLB.com. He is now the color analyst for the Texas Rangers, uh, and we dive into a lot. This this is an interesting episode. We, we dive into his broadcasting career, how it all got started, he, uh, that transition, that big transition. I love talking to guys, who former players, and asking them how all of a sudden this big transition, if they're doing something, whether it be coaching, broadcasting, whatever it may be, something which is successful after their playing days, how, what was that transition like? Uh, It really helps, especially if you're someone who's going through a bit of a career change or whatever it may be. Uh, I love hearing these stories. Uh, It's really inspirational. Uh, We talk about everything from that to the playoffs. We talk about Blake Snell getting taken out, Kevin Cash. And this is a very sharp baseball mind, CJ Nikowski. Uh, If you follow him on Twitter or you listen, if you're a Rangers fan uh, or you watch MLB Whip Around, you can hear this guy dive into certain topics and He's someone I love to listen to and someone I take a lot uh, lot from. He's helped me out a ton uh, ever since those those first couple uh, conversations when I was trying to get my foot in the door. And again, he, he, w- he was big. He was instrumental for my career. So with that, I will give the old plug. Go to www.thetopstep.com. Uh, you can go click on podcasts and right there, all the links you need, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it be Apple, Google, Spotify, it's all right there. Make sure you click subscribe. Leave me a review too. I've had some good episodes, man. Give me that good review. It helps this podcast and, and helps um, bring out good content and keep bringing these guests back. All right. Without further ado, I won't keep you any longer. Enjoy this conversation as CJ Nikowski joins me on the top step. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. First appearance of the big leagues. <laughs> he's a Hall, Hall of Famer. Famer. <laughs> Especially if he strikes them out. Here comes the one-two pitch to Junior now. The breaking ball. He struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life. <laughs> As he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. And the inning is over. But what an inning it was. All right, CJ. Hey, man, I appreciate you joining me, dude. Of course, Ryan. My pleasure, man. Good to catch up. Yeah, it really is. And and you and I have had, I wouldn't say quite the history, like it's been, you know, back and forth where we've had a ton of interaction, but you've actually, and I'll kick off with this, but you've actually, when it comes to, you're obviously in broadcasting, you're an ex-player in, into, the, into the broadcasting world and killing it, by the way. Oh, and well, for you. me, when I was kicking off, um, you, I basically went out. I want to tell this story. I might as well tell this story right, right off the bat. I went out to LA. You were working on MLB Whip Around, Fox Sports, mm-hmm. which is basically national TV, which is, which is a big deal, right? It really is. It is a big deal. When, yeah, it was fun. It was cool. It was a, it was, it was a big deal to me when I got there just because it was done at a, a big studio. Right, right, right there on the Fox line. It did seem like, you know, it's FS1 had just launched. And so they had a, you know, yeah. a baseball show and everything else, highlight show. But it was pretty neat. Yeah, I was, I was really fortunate to get it for sure. But it is tough to get those gigs, right? I mean, it's competitive. Yeah. You know, to Super get, competitive. Yeah. Um, but I went out there and I'll never forget. I, I was kind of making that transition. I was getting done playing. And uh, 
I couldn't get a job that last year, as you well know, and something we can probably dive into <laughs> with your playing career when it's tough, when all of a sudden the glass, glass is half empty. But I was texting you. I, I knew you had had some success with, with the, the broadcasting gig. And i never forget, man, I, I went to Seattle for a couple of weeks um, just to sort of schmooze and, and, and get to know everyone. And hopefully that's a market that I can sort of to, to get into broadcasting. But I go to uh, spring training the next year. I kick off with the, uh, with the Mariners and, and everyone's telling me how awesome, oh, you're doing a great job. No, I'm like, I couldn't be doing that well. Like, <laughs> I know I'm messing up in the booth. Like, everyone's like, oh, you're great. Because it's really, it's not like someone's hired me and there's, you know, talk is cheap in a sense. And everyone's mm-hmm. just trying to be positive everything else. But I left spring training. I'll never forget. This is 2016. I left spring training and I'm just kind of sitting back as you do when you're a player. If you have a bit of success, people are going to call you, right? Mm-hmm. And so there I am. I, I go home and no one's called. Like, I'm thinking they're going to call me. Oh, come to Seattle and, and, and start working. So I text you. I said, hey, can I come spend the afternoon with you in, um, in LA? And dude, you set me straight, man. And some of the things you said... Uh, right off the bat, you basically said, look, man, this is how it is. No one's going to just create a position for you. Those positions are taken. You have mm-hmm. to literally fly yourself up there if you have to. And you have to, you have to call whoever your boss is, whoever that is, call them over and over. Just get, get those little inklings of getting on air, getting on radio, right? All these mm-hmm. little things. And do I never forget it. That is really what got my foot in the door. The words you, you gave me. Otherwise, I'd just still be sitting there waiting for someone to, to, to give me a call. So yeah, I, you got to well, hustle. You got to yeah. hustle for sure. You do. Yeah. So I would say in this business, and I tell that to a lot of guys, like it's one thing if you're John Smoltz, right? Or you're Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas, of course, has been doing that MLB whip around show since the beginning as well. But for the rest of us that we're lucky enough to play, uh, but can walk down the street pretty easily, no one's ever going to bother us. Uh, we have to work a little bit harder uh, to get into the industry. And I love helping guys out because, I, you know, I kind of joke around. I, I probably have the lowest war of any broadcaster, I would think it's gotta be pretty close. I don't know. I'll be down there with you too, mate. I'm in the trenches (laughs) with you. (laughs) So so for us low war guys, uh, we have to get in uh, and work a little bit harder to be able to get opportunities. And so I I love the industry. I love the business I always have. And I've been interested in, I've always asked questions, even when I was playing, I didn't know that it was something I was going to want to do after I was done playing, at least in the middle of my career. But those last few years, I was like, for sure, this is something I'm interested in. Uh, what can I learn about the business and try to ask as many questions as possible. And I remember years ago asking Jim Deshays when I was playing in, in Houston, this is like 1998. So I'm only like four years, five years into my career and yeah. was asking him a little bit about the industry then. Uh, and he was doing, of course, color for the Astros and he was really helpful. And he was kind of giving me some advice on maybe some of the cattiness that can happen behind the scenes and, and everything else. It was all very interesting to me and I was intrigued by it. And I remember thinking, man, he was so nice to me. And JD now has, of course, been calling games for the Cubs for a while. And I want to make sure I'm that guy too. Just like when you've had good teammates, right? Yeah. Guys that have helped you when you were younger, you want to pay that forward. There are some guys that, sure. that don't like doing that or they're, maybe they're threatened by it. I had a guy along the way, a former player at one point, I did a pre and post game radio show for somebody just kind of filling in, trying to get experience. And I asked him about getting in the booth. And I was like, what's the path? How do you get there? He's like, don't even bother. You'll never get there. And I was like, wow, that's really not helpful at all. I remember you, know, like, I remember you telling yeah. me that. I remember yeah, you telling and, me that. And I think I never want to be like, that's weird. Yeah. You know, and it was because you were concerned about competition. I mean, I literally had done one or two you know, pre and post game shows on radio uh, for yeah. this team at the time. And I was like, that's brutal. I was like, I never want to be that person. And just a couple of years later, I was fortunate enough to get some opportunities and actually get in the booth. And that guy's not in the industry anymore. And, you know, not that karma always works, but I felt yeah. like there was a little bit of that there. But so I, you've seen both sides of it. I know you have already, I'm sure. And I've seen a bunch of it. And some guys are incredibly helpful. Some are not. I think more are helpful than aren't. 
Uh, but I was just felt like, come on, man, you know, you can't be afraid of that competition. Things are going to go the way they're supposed to go. And the idea of sliding anybody or not helping anybody is not going to help your career. So you had towards the end of your, I mean, you, you mentioned early on in your career, but towards the end of your career, then that's when you start saying, oh, hey, I'd, I'd like to get into to broadcasting. Mm-hmm. But just like you mentioned a few things and, and you mentioned the, the, the career war and everything else and Frank Thomas and some of these guys that, you know, inherently, the opportunities come because everyone just wants to see their face and hear their opinion, regardless of what, the, what they're saying, if they're good or bad. But, I mean, there, there's, there's going to be that that you're competing against. But, you know, the, it's funny you said that too, because that's, that's part of this as well. And I think this goes for whatever you do in life. But especially with the broadcasting, I heard that all the time. Well, it's going to be tough. It's always like viewing me as a, well, this is what you're up against, you know, mm-hmm. when it comes to, you know, in Seattle, obviously, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. wants to come in, boom, he's in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's who it he is. is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, I, and it's a, that's a respect thing. I totally mm-hmm. respect that because when I'm sitting at home, who do they want to listen to? Him. He could talk about his golf game on a Saturday yeah. and they want to hear that. But, you know, it, 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 so at the end of your career, you basically said, okay, this is kind of how I want to transition out of baseball. Mm-hmm. So what those first little, if you can go back to the, the, once I got done playing and it's a dark play, it can be a dark place too. Yes. And, yes. and we saw that, you know, the players association have those really um, the career summits where you go down there and, and it's amazing. You get talking and it's like, man, everyone else is like me. Cause I had mm-hmm. no idea how or what I was going to do. Yeah. What, when you, as soon as you knew you were done playing, as soon as you knew you weren't going to get another phone call to, to go play, whether it be in Asia, like you played in Asia or in the U S those, what were the first thoughts through your head? It was like, okay, boom, I'm broadcasting no matter what. Or was it like, do I coach? Do I scare? Yeah. So there's a lot of things there. First of all, I will tell you that I had maybe one of the softest landings into, I'll call it retirement, but as you and I well know, that just means the phone stopped ringing, right? Yeah. Like, and, but I honestly, this is the honest truth. In 2005, I thought I was done. And I had gotten in touch. A friend of mine recommended a broadcast agent. And this was in 2005. And so he yeah. knew at the time it wasn't a big name. I'd been around a little bit. Uh, but said, hey, listen, you know, and I was playing in uh, New Orleans at the time with the Washington Nationals. And he said, listen, you, uh, you need to be fully retired if you, if you know that this is something that you want to start working on. Uh, and so I can't start working for you until I know you're all the way in. The worst thing I can do is call somebody and then you come back and tell me that you're going to try to play yeah. again. And I was like, ah, probably done. That went on for eight years. Like I kept getting like, you know, 2006, wow. I got another chance. I went to Asia for two years to Japan. Like I every, and every single year, I'm not exaggerating. I was like, oh, this is probably it. This is probably my last one. I think I got every last pitch out of this arm. And then I went to Korea for two years after two years in Asia. Yeah. And then I got hurt and missed the year and I was getting old, but I always wanted to try to be a side armor. And so I gave that a shot and I went to winter ball. I remember Dominican. that. That's right. At 38 years old was the first time I went to winter ball. And then the, and then the Mets that. gave me a chance for like the last couple of months of 2012. Yeah. Uh, I went to double A as a 39 year old. It was amazing. I went to winter ball again, almost got to throw a pitch. Uh, at age 40, like, it became a goal. Like, I just want to throw one pitch. My birthday's in March. I'm like, just get me to spring training. Let me throw a competitive pitch at 40 right. at least, and then I'll 100% be ready uh, to be done with it. I didn't get that chance. Uh, nothing happened uh, that year, that spring training. And so it was all said and done. I finished winter ball. Uh, I drilled the very last guy I faced. Do you know what you did against the last guy you faced? Oh, man. that's uh, Professionally? Yeah. I, I, I pitched in Taiwan. My last year, I pitched in Taiwan uh, before, I got, uh, before I got sent home. And I was – 
like deathly ill. Like if it was 2020, <laughs> I'm like, oh uh-huh. man, like COVID. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, my yeah. god, this is not good. I'm going to the hospital. I was in my room. I'm like, I'm like, I still have to pitch because I knew I was on the chopping block. I wasn't doing uh-huh. great. They weren't yeah, happy yeah. with me because I wasn't going at nine innings. Like you've you played in Asia. That, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're and I went out and and literally like I. I had diarrhea. I was vomiting all over the place uh-huh. and I was just cold sweats. I went out with like seven shutouts. <laughs> like, oh, <man. laughs> and that was it. You walked it off, called it a career. Dude. It, well, no, the next day uh-huh. they come to my room, knock, knock. And I'm like, Oh man, I can barely get out of bed. I'm that sick. I'm, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not exaggerating. And they said, Hey man, um, we're going to send you home. And it was, it was kind of a, you know, it was a blessing in disguise, I guess, because uh-huh. we just had our, our uh, Kennedy, our, our uh-huh. daughter, um, and here I was, I don't know what I was doing. We had her and then I was off playing in Taiwan. And so the whole time I'm like, what am I doing here? Number yeah, one. Yeah. And number two, I just didn't have that feeling like this is going to progress into Japan or it just mm-hmm. wasn't happening. Um, yeah. but I did play in the world baseball classic yeah, after that yeah. 2017. Um, and, and I finished on a high note, but yeah, you know, it, it, for that but at that point for me i already had by the time i was playing the wbc i was already you know doing stuff for the mariners yeah right? so you already and, got a little bit of it yeah in yeah. inroads which is really important yeah That's, and now same thing for me like the reason i started getting in on this a little bit so the last pitch i threw was in basically january of 2013 in the dominican uh in the postseason and i remember i drilled the dude right in the ribs trying to be a lefty specialist my wife happened to come down to visit and she said she turned the TV off like three hitters before that because it just it wasn't going particularly well. And she'd been with me since college. And she's like, I've had enough. I can't do it anymore. I've had enough of it. <laughs> so I drilled, the, I drilled the guy and they called us the next day. We went home um, and that was it. But the idea of, you know, doing something. So this, I say 2013, just to put it in perspective, in 1999, I was doing, uh, Bob Valvano would come up to me, Jim Valvano's brother. He, was, he has an ESPN radio show and he was in Detroit. And he's like, and we weren't going to go to the postseason. We were bad. He's like, hey, you want to come on and do some, postseason analysis with me wow. in the in journey off season. I was like, uh, sure, I guess, you know, not really knowing anything about it. And so I just did that as a free gig for three years. I did it with them. And then a couple of years after that, in 2004, I was with the Yankees and I actually reached out to them. I knew I wasn't going to be on the postseason roster, but I finished the season with them. And I grew up there and I reached out to WFAN and I said, Hey, if you want anybody to come on and do some postseason analysis, I've done a free SP radio before. And so I did it for one uh, postseason with Steve Summers, uh, who's a big was name that- in New York. Could you have done that from you ha- where you were living, or did you just have over to the go- phone? Yeah, it was just I was just over the gotcha. phone, you know, just yeah. calling in a fifteen minute spot, yeah. you know, yeah. doing a radio hit. So I started yeah. kind of getting some reps that way, and I, right. that's when I became more and more interested in the business. But how I finally completely got in, I mean, I felt like for a guy like me, I have to have an agent. I don't yeah. think I could have gone to any, and I played for eight teams. I don't know if I could have gone to any of them and said I'm interested in you know, television or radio, and is there anything I could do? And I live in Atlanta, and you know, I've done a couple little things with them, yeah. but not much. And so the idea for me having a broadcast agent was huge. And so he got me started doing some college games, uh, which was really helpful. MLB.com used to have a lot of content online. They don't anymore. I got really lucky as far as the timing of that because they had some people that worked in television there. And they had real studios in New York City at their former building that they had at Chelsea Market. So that was a really great first experience for me to get reps and to be around some folks uh, that had done some things, whether it was in front of the camera or behind the camera. Frank Thomas was doing some stuff. Jim Duquette was doing some things. So I was trying to get as, as much experience as I possibly could. And I tell people all the time, college games, if you can do some college games on television, and there's more college baseball on TV now more than ever, yeah. it's a great place to start because to this day, it's still the hardest thing I've ever done. 
because I don't know those players, right? right? I don't have any of the history. You're sitting there learning everything from scratch, talking to a coach, say, for the first time about his team and and having an idea even of their their history, their recent history. And so I went and did a St. John's Butler game. I went to St. John's, which is in Queens, New York. It helped a little bit that I went there, but I still didn't really know the guys. And so doing the college games was a really great way to start. And then I just kept doing every little thing that I could possibly do along the way. And I got really, really lucky. My first year, my agent was able to get me a radio show. It was once a week on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, doing that on the weekends was a, just a two-hour show. Uh, that was a really good experience. But one of the producers there to, for that show had come to me and he says, uh, I don't know where he goes, hey, would you ever be interested in doing a Yankee game? I was like, what? What kind of, <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. What kind of ridiculous question is that? Yeah. And he said, hey, Susan Waldman, every year, she usually misses a couple of games for the Jewish holidays, and the Yankees just use a, a, some kind of fill-in. Former player, whoever it may be, I'd, I want to throw your name in. I said, are you kidding me? Of course, I'd love to. So the first big league game I ever did was with John Sterling on radio Oh wow! <laughs> for, for the New York Yankees. So that was quite an experience. But, I mean, I was hustling like crazy, man. I mean, doing everything I possibly could. MLB.com. Uh, CBS Sports Radio, CBS Television for college games, filling in when I could. And I also was writing a little bit uh, for ESPN and for others. And that was something I had done a little bit throughout my career. So I was just, you know, taking every possible gig I could. And then that same summer is when FS1 launched. And I was able to do an audition for them the following January. Oh, wow. so the, that, my yeah. timing was really lucky. That that led all the way into when I saw you at FS1 with MLB Whip Around. So all yeah, that, that was that, at that point. If it was 16, that was my third year there because um, I started there in basically spring training or season of yeah. 2014. And so I was during there for three all that, years. during those hustle years, that that time, yeah. I mean, you got why you're married at this point with kids. Yeah. Right? Very married, yeah. So here's one thing, and this has always been. It's always a tough, you know situation where everyone's oh you're so lucky you get to play baseball like my sister always says oh you are so lucky you get to play baseball there's no job security at all no and then even with broadcasting there is just little job security Mm -hmm. and here you are you got a family you want to obviously provide for them um and have some sort of forecast as to where we're going to be in a couple of years you're jumping all over the place in these different you know whether it be on the east coast or, or where you're at in atlanta to hey here's an opportunity it must have been tough at that point if you can if you can go back and think about what am I doing? Because there's really, yeah. am I progressing here? Or am I just going around in circles? Cause there's really no job security. There's not. And something you mentioned earlier too, it sometimes can be really difficult to get uh, honest and objective feedback on how you're doing. Because nice. a lot of people, yeah. people just want to say nice things all the time. And I'm yeah. like, don't sugarcoat it. Right. We know this yeah. from playing. Yeah. The worst thing you can do is have a coach that just blows smoke all day. And then next thing you know, you get sent down. I go, that right. didn't help me. Like, yes. what do I need to be doing better? So I'd always, I'd push some of the people that I worked with for legitimate, honest feedback. And it was a slow start. I saw something that I actually did at MLB.com the other day. I couldn't even watch the whole thing. I was like, oh my <laughs> goodness, like that was awful. How did I get out of that? But, you know, you continue to work. And it is, it was a challenge, no doubt for the family. But you know what's interesting for us? You know, I've been with my wife since college. So we've been together for a long okay. time. So she's yeah. seen all of it, right? Okay. The ups and the downs, all the trades, all this stuff, right? And then, hey, I'm going to Asia and, you know, I had to, I was in Korea for the end of the season one year, two and a half months by myself while they came back here to go to school. And I thought I would never do that. Um, But there's something about the Asia experience that seems to help put this all in perspective because you know, you're gone for eight straight months. Like you were leaving the country for eight months. There's no like going home for a weekend. And now in the broadcasting that I'm doing, yeah, I might leave for a week here. And Mm -hmm. my kids are a little bit older now. Uh, They were my two oldest were in high school at the time. I have a now a 21, 19 and 12 year old. So it helps that they're a little bit older. Yeah. Uh, It's hardest probably on the 12 year old. Uh, Even now doing Ranger games, we've talked about, Hey, do we want to move to Texas? 
And I have some other things that kind of keep me here as well. And it's hard for him. I said, well, we can move to Texas and you're there every day, but then you got to come out of school. We're going to make some changes. My, my parents are here and they're older. and I have to help out there a little bit as well. So uh, he's always like, you know what? I'd rather stay here and you'd be on the road. Yeah. Cause then he also comes to games. Like he'll, they'll go to LA once in a while for an angels game. They'll yeah. meet me in New York for a Yankee game. So that's the trade-off. Um, but it just never seems as bad. There's something about that Asian experience for our family that doesn't make this travel too bad. Doesn't mean it's perfect and easy all That's the time. Yeah. But there was something about, you know, it's like, oh, I get to come home. You know, right now with the Rangers, I'm on the road, you know, somewhere around 15 to 20 days a month. I'm home for the other ones. And then the trade-off is the off-season. Like we're okay yeah. with grinding for those six months and then knowing that I'm home for the next six where I don't have to leave for anything. I do radio for, yeah. for Sirius XM, but I do it for my house. And so I'm right. here every day. And if yeah. you have a wife that's been through this lifestyle, yeah. the way mine has, there's a part of her, like that first March that you're home and not in spring training, where she's like, what are you doing here? Like this was always, <laughs> at least for my wife, yeah. this was my month. Yeah. This was my month that I do whatever I want in the house. You're not gotcha. gonna question what I'm doing. If I wanna move the furniture around, I can. You're not gonna say anything. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're there every day, like, hey, what are you doing? Why is that there? And she's like, oh, get out of here. I didn't, March was mine. What <laughs> yeah. are you doing here in March? So the balance, I think, again, not perfect, um, but we're built for it and we, we found a way to make it work. Hey, speaking of going off to Asia and you went there for you know quite, a, quite some time, do you ever feel like, and, and this is something that, you know, I never played in, I played in Taiwan, right? Mm -hmm. And it was a little bit of that, but not Japan, Korea. Do you ever feel like, because I was told this, I had an offer to go after the 2010 year, I, I really struggled, had an offer to go play in Oryx. And um, I would have loved to go play in, in Japan. Yeah. And it was always said to me, the minute you go play in Japan, it's a little bit different now, but I think back to when you and I were playing. Mm -hmm. And, and you were trying to, even before that, we're starting to think about broadcasting and being in the game and, and being around people and everything else. Because once, once you're gone, people forget your, your, your existence, right? Yeah. Did you ever feel like when you, if you go off to Asia that you were just going to be forgotten? Was there ever that fear of that? And I'm not going to be yeah. able to come back and get into broadcasting, get on the radio, get on TV. I never thought about it from the broadcasting angle, to be honest with you. Of course, you think about it from the playing career angle. And so at that point, it was 2007 for me. So I was 34 years old. I had spent the previous year, the entire year in AAA. And I was fortunate enough, I think up to that point, I maybe had one or two years where I would not seen at least a little bit of big league time. Yeah. And so to, at that age, and to have a pretty decent year, not get called up by an organization that was struggling, I was all about trying to go to Japan and get over there. So I wasn't as concerned about that part of it. I'm looking for a couple more years to hang on, yeah. try to get some guaranteed money a little bit. Uh, you know, and, and of course, that's a great opportunity for players in that regard. So I wasn't as worried because of my age, but you've seen it now. That trend has changed dramatically. There are yes. guys that are reinventing yeah. their careers over there now. Yeah. And you, we've seen guys that we may not have heard of, maybe either never saw the big leagues or didn't have much success in the big leagues, like yeah. Miles Michaelis or Merrill Kelly, Merrill Kelly. And these guys go over to Asia and they come back with guaranteed deals. Yeah. I mean, Chris Martin, good example of that and what he's done, right? So there's, so now it's changed completely. But yeah, that's, it's definitely something that I knew was out there as a possibility, but I wasn't as worried because of my age. When I see some guys go over there in their mid-20s, at one point I would have said, yeah. you know what, that might be the last of that guy, but that's yeah. not even the case anymore. Yeah, I just I had Chris Martin on, on the podcast recently. We played together in 2013, and mm -hmm. at the end of that year, he was with the Red Sox, and he had an offer. He hadn't played a day in the big leagues at that point. He was good. I mean, he was really yeah. talented, but he wasn't looked at as being a prospect with the Red Sox. And I remember he texted me. We were pretty close. He texted me. He said, oh, I've got this opportunity to go to Japan if, as soon as the Red Sox sign off on it. And I said to him, this is 2013. I said, remember, when you go over there, it can be very difficult to come back. Mm -hmm. um, and literally, like a year and a half later, he went to the Rockies <laughs> and then the Yankees. Yeah. And I remember we had the same conversation. We are in Arizona. I'll never forget it. And he goes, oh, I got a chance to go to, to play in Japan. And even just a couple of years later, I was like, you know what? You can go over there and pitch. <laughs> 
yeah. and you can still get back here mm-hmm. because it's just you're right. It did change for players where they could come back. And yeah, all it's a, a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing for guys because they can go there with a little more confidence. Kobe Lewis, I mean, it completely changed his career. Yeah, right. He yeah. was struggling, kind of, you know, can't quite find his footing. Goes over to Asia. There's a couple things I think that help. It's guaranteed money. So it takes a little bit of that pressure off for a year. And even though the expectations are higher and it's pretty stressful, I don't know if I've ever been as stressed playing baseball in, especially in Japan, because the expectations are kind of absurd. Uh, But there's that opportunity to reinvent yourself or at least, you know, get your legs under you a little bit and come back with more confidence. And I think that we've seen a lot of guys where it's helped in that regard. Hey, I want to ask you this too. And this is something I was thinking about uh, this morning. I was walking down the street and like, I could ask CJ this and hopefully this (laughs) makes sense, man. So, Even in my playing career, but especially in broadcasting, this is something I talk to, um, uh, you know, some people who you know I trust when I really want to open up and talk. One thing I feel like when it's guys like you and I. Now we talked about the guys who played twenty years Hall of Famers, you know, yeah. and and guys, if you if you are very good and charismatic and you can speak and have an opinion, plus you have that like John Smoltz, yeah. can and he, he's very good at what he does, and he's amazing career. Boom. Well, hey, mm-hmm. you know what? Um, but I call it the friend zone, right? I feel like <laughs> I get this a lot. I get this, oh, we love Ryan. We love having mm-hmm. him around. He's great. But there's just not that, that commitment because it's yeah. like, you know, we're kind of waiting because there is, comp- it is, there is a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, okay, what do I need to do here? I've asked this question a lot to separate myself, to get that you, to, for you to make a commitment towards me. Now, you mentioned you went down and, and started FS1. Mm-hmm. There must have been line out the door of op- options they had right with fox sure to, to bring guys in and you're there and you're working with you know really talented people what was this like first of all do you feel like uh, two parts of this question do you feel like that's that's a real thing where i call it the friend zone we yeah. love him but they're not going to make that commitment we're especially oh, yeah. broadcasting 100 percent. Right? yeah, yeah. Well, that's a real thing for sure. So I had never been to a real audition before. And so I had gone to this one and there were people that were in and out. And there were some guys there uh, that I didn't know were going to be there, but guys I knew from my playing career, some executives, yeah. some players, and they, and they did a handful of days of auditions. And some of those wow. big name guys, uh, they brought on, you know, but what happened was I, I found out I had gotten the job, but I didn't know who else they hired. There was no announcement. And so we had our meetings. They have these annual meetings for Fox and FS1 at, at Terranea in uh california in uh where is that palos veritas it's beautiful there but yeah. so they have these meetings i don't even know who's going to be there when i get there like i get wow. there i'm like all right i guess i'm going to find out who else you know got the gig and then frank was there frank thomas was there gabe kapler now gabe started with them in the beginning so even though they launched in august they didn't hire he i think he might have been their only baseball hire right. at the time uh and then they kind of because they didn't have that show yet they really just yeah. needed a guy to kind of you know fill in and do some segments but all of a sudden now I started seeing the guys that were going to be there. That was, it was an interesting process. I would say this for, you know, I say guys like us. So you have the name guys that are there yeah. and those guys are, and even if you're as good, and I, I think I probably told you this, that for us being as good as them is not good enough. Yeah. We have to strive to be better than them. And it's all, it's such a subjective business anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. But I do think for, especially for them, since they were just launching, they knew they wanted some guys that they'd have to pay a lot of money to. Like they're going to pay the big guys. Those guys are going to command more money to be there yeah. for guys like us. And I went in and I will tell you that I probably lost money my first year there. Right. And even though I was doing, I ended up doing like 130 dates for them. I did wow. some games. I did a bunch of studio, but I had to live there on my own because of how much that I was doing. So I, I, I live in Atlanta full time. I had to get an apartment in Los Angeles. I stayed in Marina Del Rey. A, my, my rent was twice as much as my mortgage. I mean, it's yeah. ridiculous, right? But I was, I was like, I'll do what I have to do. Like, I can't do this every year like this, but I'll yeah. do it for a year to get my, you know, my feet under me and show them that I'm in. Yeah. 
and work my tail off and do whatever they asked me to do. And then I was fortunate to be offered a three-year deal uh, after that uh, and then kind of go from there. But I actually opted out of that deal for kind of the same reason you said. I felt like I was a little bit in the friend zone. There were times where I would get passed over, even from some people from other networks, to do some work for us at really big national spots. And I was like, all right, I get it. I don't, I'm not happy about it. Yeah. I feel like I'm working my tail off. Perhaps I need to start thinking about yeah. long-term what this is going to be for me. And because the Rangers were in the Fox family and a gig had opened up, I had asked if I could audition for it or be considered for it. And what yeah. I wanted to do was about 50 Ranger games and then knock my FS1 stuff down to about 50 dates so I could do both. Yeah. But the Rangers were like, no, we want you to do 100. And so I had to ask out of my contract. <laughs> yeah. So it goes to the opposite because I felt like with the Rangers at the time, like they were making a hard push, right? It's like free agency. The team that calls you first and is all over you and wants you the most, even though you're kind of waiting, oh, I'd really like to go to Cincinnati. But man, you know, the Rockies are all about me. You yeah. probably should go to the Rockies because they're yeah, all about you, even, sure. though you'd, even though you'd really like to go to Cincinnati. And that kind of ended up being this. They were great to me. I don't have a bad word to say about them. I, I have to respect the opinions that they have. Mm-hmm. But they wanted bigger names for bigger situations, which I totally get. And I found something that was going to be a little bit more secure from somebody that I felt like really wanted me. Yeah. And so I ended up leaving. People ask me all the time, wait, you left a national job to take a local job? And that, that's the reason why. But a, a lot of that too, and some of the pros to, to doing a local job, you're with the same team. Yeah. You, you, know, you know what I mean? Like you're basically covering the one team. If, does it feel more when you're covering, working with the Rangers, do you feel like you're part of, more of part of a family when it comes to like more of a, you know, a team kind of process as opposed to just doing, jumping in, jumping in the studio, jumping out? Mm-hmm. I do because the Rangers do a great job of making you feel that way. They have right. great people that run that organization. Yeah. Uh, John Daniels, his first year was actually a year that I was there playing. I believe it was 2003. And he's been there. Now, well, he wasn't the GM then, but that was his first year in the organization. Yeah. And he really is a people first general manager and team president. Yeah. And I have a ton of appreciation for that. And not every organization does this either. Like I work for the team. Most broadcasters don't. Right? I would say it's a very small percentage. That are, you know, the team actually pays. Most teams, gotcha. the network pays you. Yeah. Right. So whether it's Rude or Fox Sports West, whatever it may be, usually that's who you're paid by. The Rangers are one of the few teams that actually control that. They pay their broadcasters and they're very involved in the process. I had an interview with John Daniels for that job. I mean, how many broadcasters have interviewed <laughs> with the GM for the TV yeah, that's job? That's interesting. Yeah. Right. I mean, but that's how involved they are, which I really appreciate it. I, I want I don't want to say that I had definite opportunities other places, but I, I talked to some other teams earlier. None of it felt right. Uh, but the Ranger one felt really right. And so from that standpoint, yeah, I do feel locked in a little bit more. I mean, I still respect, I don't know how you are, but it's a little weird when you first go back into the clubhouse as a former player. Yeah. Like I'm just this guy that yeah. respects people's space so much, understand oh what it's God. like that people bother you all the time. And so I just try to stay out of guy's way. Yeah. Don't bug him. I poke my head in there in case anybody's mad about something I said. So I, if they want to yell at me, they can yeah. do it. I'll make myself available. I'm not going to hide but I also give them their space and stay away from them. But from the organizational standpoint, absolutely. That was one of the draws for me is being involved with one team, being involved in what feels like somewhat of a family atmosphere and just, and being where you want or you're wanted. You know, it's so funny you mentioned that about the going in the clubhouse. Cause I felt like, Oh, when I'm going to walk in here, I know some of these guys cause I play with them. I'm just going to walk mm-hmm. in like I'm one of the dudes shoot pool. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and it's funny. Cause Dave Sims, he said to me, Hey guys, the biggest thing you can do is get down in that clubhouse and, and talk yeah. to guys. I'm like, Oh, you know, it took me a long time still. Yeah. I still have that, that, um, 
that uh, reservation about going down there. I just don't want to be in guy's space. I don't want to be yeah. like, hey, man, how you doing? I'm Ryan. I, I, I work. Yeah, I don't care. Because yeah. when, and when I, it, the thing is, too, and back when you and I played, uh, and it's completely different now. The generation's different now. They're all, everyone's on Instagram, Twitter. It, it, you know, they all have this amazing branding, self-branding mm-hmm. that I've never seen. I'm like, wow, man. Like, that's Everyone's got their own logo. You get 50, yeah. two weeks in the big leagues, you get your own logo. I, it's amazing. <laughs> it's so different. It really is. But back when we played, and this is something that I, 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 I want to make sure I ask you about this as well. When we played... There was always that feeling, especially when you're a rookie, you come in. Now, mind you, when I was a rookie, I sat in my locker, just, I just mm-hmm. ran out of everyone's way. Yeah. But there was this thing like, oh, the media is the enemy. We're the team. The media is out to get us. Mm-hmm. I always had this feeling, though. Like, I don't know what it was. Maybe because I'm from another country or something. I've got no idea. But it's the same thing. In this, they deal with that in Australia as well, with players and, and that relationship. But I'm like, hold on a minute. Like, if I talk to these people, Right. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and so build some sort of relationship. It's only, isn't that only going to help me? Like if sure. I do struggle, cause I ain't going to suck here. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, like in 2010, I was awful. I was terrible. I couldn't get anyone out. And they just had my back, you know, yeah. and mind you, if this is on the East coast, completely different, but Seattle's mm-hmm. a lot easier on, on their players, but I never understood that dynamic of, oh, but, you know, screw the media. Um, they're out to get me. And, and I'm not even, t- I'm not talking to them, this and that, as opposed to, the reason there's 45,000 people watching this is interested and, and glorify everything that's happening here is really because there is a medium where they look and, and get invested in the story. So I just, yeah. were you like that as a player? Did you have that appreciation or were you still part of that salty squad that kind of said, Oh no, I'm staying away from the media. No, I like talking to them. I mean, my role, especially as a lefty reliever and kind of specialist, rarely did the media need yeah. to talk to you unless you did something bad, right? More often than not, <laughs> yeah. if the media was in front of my locker, it probably wasn't a good thing. When I was a starter, it was a little bit different, yeah. but for the bulk of my career being a reliever, you almost wish they weren't coming to see you. Now I struck up a lot of relationships because I I was interested in the industry and even with yeah. the writers and always asking questions, you know, little things about writers etiquette and some of that stuff. And there were some guys that, you know, that ticked me off and some guys that even when I played, I didn't like a couple things they wrote that I still haven't forgotten, you know, yeah. 20 plus years later. So that, that's a real thing. I think with certain guys, yeah. one thing, and I can't remember which team told me they did this, a, a broadcaster told me this, but I really love this idea. And I wish most teams would do it is that at spring training, they actually bring your broadcasters in. So that, you know, I know that players got a ton of meetings and everything else just so that they understand. It might have been the Angels, I think, that and maybe Mike Sosa that did this. But to let the players know there's, there's more than one media here. You have your team media, you have your radio team, and you have your, right. your home TV. And they're there. You know, they're not there trying to get scoops. They're not trying to break stories. Yeah. If you get a fight on the plane, they're not going to talk about it. You get yeah. hammered on the plane or do something dumb, they're not gonna, it's not going to make the broadcast. Yeah. You have your writers who would love that story any day of the week. right? And, of course, I think you do have to be careful about any – uh, team broadcasters that would leak stuff to writers. I would, you know, you got to make sure you can trust guys that wouldn't do that. Uh, but I do think that understanding for players and maybe explaining to players, here's your media that is looking for every piece of dirt they can get. And here's the ones that are trying to make you look as good as possible. Right. And the easy thing to do, right, for them, I wish more players would understand this because I do remember when you have the uniform on, you're the most sensitive. You're never going to be more sensitive to the media than when you actually have the uniform on yeah. and in that clubhouse. And you start to realize kind of afterwards, I, I mean, I made some really dumb mistakes as a player and kind of lashed out a couple times at media and I, a little bit embarrassing about it, you know, after the fact and had a better feel for how it works. But like I look at, you know, guys now and when they're rolling, the job's super easy. Their game speaks for themselves, right? Yeah. When they're struggling a little bit, 
I dig in deeper to try to look for the positives, right? So a guy is having a rough week, but I'll, t- I'll try to find how's his exit velocity? Has his defensive numbers improved? Is he being really disciplined? Has he had some bad luck because his Babbitt is really low and that's not going to hold, right? So I'll always look for that positive story. Some guys don't under, won't appreciate that and they never get it. You say that one bad thing and they will remember that forever. Yeah, that's and true. that's the part that can be hard. And so, I, I, you know, I, I was really, um, I guess, humbled. I don't know is the right word. I was really appreciative. We were on the plane one day a couple of years ago and Jonathan Lucroy had come up to me. And I, I, I don't even talk to the guys on the plane. I give them their space. Go do your thing. You don't have to worry about me. You know, I'm not here to you know, get in your business. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, man, he goes, I really appreciate it. He goes, it's nice to have some broadcasters that really feel like they're pulling for the players. And I, that meant a ton to me, man. I mean, it sounds kind of yeah. silly, but it really did. So I'm like, you know, at least that somebody recognized that, you know, listen, it's easy when you're going good. Yeah. But when you're struggling, I'm here to, to do the best I can to try to spin it positive. Now, you'll get pushback from fans, right? Stop being a homer. This guy sucks right now. Why don't you just say he sucks? Because I don't see any value in that. Yeah. I see no value. He right. knows it. We all know it when he's struggling. What's the point of me piling on, right? A, a ball goes right through the legs of your second baseman. I try to frame it like, well, he'd tell you he knows she should have had that ball. As opposed to, I can't believe he missed that. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of and stuff. And you've given me, like, I've leaned on you a lot with, you know, technical things or, hey, what should, uh-huh. how should I go about this and that? I'll shoot you a text and you always get right back to me. And I appreciate uh-huh. that so much. Of course, you've, man. you've helped me out a ton. I, I, I can't overemphasize that enough. But that's one thing I did ask you, hey, when, when these guys are struggling, we had Felix Hernandez for a couple of years who mm-hmm. was on, on, on the decline when it came to performance. So it was like, this is a guy who I played with, I have a ton of respect for. Um, and there's this thing where in, you know, in Seattle, you respect him, but a lot of people don't want to put up with it, fans and everything else. Mm-hmm. I remember asking you like some of the techniques and you did say, hey, look, Felix will be the first to tell you that he yeah. blah, blah, blah. And it's such a good technique because again, he's like, yeah, I did. Like, I would say that. Yeah. <laughs> like it, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And but I'll tell you, you the big one too on that too. My wife gave me some of the best advice that I've gotten in this industry as a, as a player's wife, right? As an ex-player's yeah. wife was she said to me, and I would have never thought about this on my own. She's like, you just, you may want to take a, be a little bit softer, take a couple extra steps of caution when the team is on the road. Cause when more often than not, yes. when the team is home, wow, the yeah. wives are in the stands. That's right. When the team is on the road, the wives are watching the game on TV. Yeah. She could, she could recite many times where she was watching the game and I'm struggling, I'm giving it up and she's getting pissed off about the way they're framing it or the way that they're saying things. And she told me, and she even said to me one time, she was, I was watching one of your games you were doing, I was calling a game. And she's like, if I was that player's wife, and excuse my phrase, but this is exactly what she said. She goes, I would have thought you were a douchebag. Right. Like, that's what she said to me. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, you, you, you don't have to go that hard. And I didn't even feel like I was going that hard at a guy. Right? So, yeah. to me, that was like some really good advice uh, about thinking about how you handle things. Because, again, you're not there to put the broadcast on for that player's family. But it does give you some perspective on, you know, and I think the longer you do this, the more you have to be careful. Is it more often yeah. than not, the, the deeper you get in, the crustier you can get if you're not careful. And so I try to remind myself, and I got my little list, of like my little broadcasting keys, and one of those is don't forget how hard the game is to play. Yeah. Uh, but then thinking about also who might be listening. Because, you know, at the end of the day, what do you really want? You want people to watch the game. Mm-hmm. So yeah. piling on a guy who's struggling, do you really – I mean, some people may like that negativity, but ultimately I want to give you a reason to watch. Yeah. I want to give sure. you – dig in a little bit. Here's what he's working on. Not going great right now, but here's what to watch for. If you yeah. can start putting this change up in this location more, the fastball is going to play better and you're going to see his numbers get better, whatever it may be. But yeah. give them a reason to want to keep the television on. If you want negativity, go read the negative articles, go get on social media. But I don't think there's a, enough reason or a good reason to really bring that to the TV broadcast. Yeah, you know, it's funny. A couple of years ago, I think, it could have been last year, actually, Blake Snow was just dominating. Now, Blake Snow is <laughs> a local guy from here. Yeah. And so I'm trying to come up with like a way for the Mariners to beat Blake Snow. <laughs> he ended up shoving. So I'm, yeah. I'm not ripping him, but I'm like, 
you know, saying, oh, hey, like he's done this lately. Hey, they should look for this. And mm-hmm. not, not, but uh, he's on the other team, but yeah. not thinking that his family is actually watching the game at home or friends of his. So I go on yeah. Twitter and I'm getting lit up on Twitter. <laughs> like, Man, By his buddies. Yeah, yeah. I, exactly. I, I was just like, whoa, I, I completely forgot. But you're right too. And, and if the family's watching at home, they're going to then deliver that message to the player, so maybe, and say, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, you should have said this or said that, if it's, if, you know, it, possibly. Or they're going to view you in a light or whatever. And then all of a sudden, then you don't have that relationship with the player because there's nothing yeah. better when you have that insight. If someone's like, hey, man, look, you know, this is how I was feeling in that moment. They open those floodgates to give you that little emotional, um, you know, backstory. Mm-hmm. You look like a, when you're a broadcast, you're like, oh, well, I spoke to so-and-so. And, he, and yep. they're like, oh, well, okay, I'm now going to listen to this guy. I give yeah. you all the credibility in the world. Mm-hmm. Hey, speaking, you know, speaking of the Rangers, one thing I, I was so disappointed in, and for you guys as well, brand new ballpark this year. <laughs> and I couldn't wait. The Mariners are uh, rolling into to Texas. Now, we got to see it a little bit during the playoffs with fans yeah. in there, right? But watch, first of all, watching games with no fans, I, yeah. I really struggled with it, man. I don't know how you yeah. were. But I, the fake was noise was a t- it helped a ton. We had a, our guy was really good at the, the crowd noise. Without that, it would have been an absolute disaster and miserable. So that, and that helped a you're lot. You're talking about from watching it from the stadium? Yeah, at Globe Life Field. Yeah. So we had, they had a guy there. That was his job. His name was Michael Gruber. He also does Dallas Stars Entertainment stuff. And he was really, really good at it. Bringing it up in the big moments, bringing it down. I know some teams struggled. Yeah. Like I remember watching the Yankee game and the crowd noise was so low. And I was right. like, bring that up a little bit. We know it's fake, but it helps. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think yeah. having somebody that does that well is really, really important. Now that happens in the stadium. We had to do an inning, our first road game, where they're playing the Giants. And so Dave Raymond and I were doing the first inning, and there's zero crowd noise. Now, we're sitting in a booth at Globe Life Field. The yeah. team's in San Francisco. And we're like, oh, wow, is this what it's going to be like on the road? Now, what happened was they, they were not pumping the crowd noise into our headsets because it, I felt like we were sitting in the closet trying to call a game. It was a disaster. I was like, I'll never be able to do this. This is not right. going to work. But luckily, they got it right, and they fixed it. Did you, how did you feel about doing the games remotely? Was it, was it tougher, or did you get in a rhythm? So it wasn't as bad. I didn't have to do any play-by-play. You do a handful a year. I didn't have to yeah. do any. So I know it's tougher there. We had that all nine screens, so you could see basically the high home view during the game, which is helpful. Yeah. Uh, I didn't hate it. Dave, was he was struggling a little bit. I mean, he did fine, but he was like, he really wanted to be traveling and be there. But there, here's where the, the kicker for me that sold me on all this was we finished a series against the Padres. They were uh, at home, and they were getting ready to leave to go play. It was a two and two. They were going to San Diego that night. And our game's over at home, and the producer jokingly says, all right, I'll see you guys in the plane in an hour, right? Because what we usually would be yeah. doing is game over, <laughs> go to the airport, wait for the team to get there, and we'd probably take off an hour and a half after game time. Well, I was staying right near the ballpark. I'm like, I'm going to be in my hotel room in 10 minutes. Right. Like, and it's supposed to landing in San Diego four hours from now yeah. and waking up. And even though San Diego is a beautiful city, I'm like, you know what? This works for me. I will make yeah, this work because sure. this is pretty fantastic. So I didn't have too much of an issue. It took a little getting used to. We have a really nice big booth. It was comfortable. The lights were always on in the stadium. So there was, that helped yeah. a little bit. Every once in a while, there was a game going on in the background from the alternate training site at Globe Life Field, why we were calling a different game. So there was a little bit of atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. I really didn't have an issue with it. I got comfortable with it, and, and I'd be okay with it if we have to do it again some you, uh, next year. And you were pretty locked. You switched on watching the playoffs. You didn't go to no. any of the games. Or you nope, no, nope. I was home, yeah, because I, yeah. I live in Atlanta, so I was home by then. 
and just watched them. But yeah, I was, I, I had to pay close attention because still, still doing radio for XM. So I got to talk about that. That's, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You're doing MLB, uh, the radio. So well, how do you feel? And I want to ask you a couple things. I'm getting to the big question here in, in, in the world series with, uh, uh-huh. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going <laughs> to tease it here, but how did you feel with the, the, the new playoff format this year? Yeah. What were your thoughts on that? I liked it, man. I, I liked the fact that more players and kind of having like the seeds and everything else. How, how do you feel about that? I loved it. I love that it was even, that it was 16 teams. So you can actually have some bracketology in baseball. I know we really can't get that. You can't replicate what they do in the NCAA with college basketball, but I really enjoyed it. I was glad they did. I know Rob Manfred has said, we'll have some version of expanded playoffs, but maybe it'll be trimmed down a little bit. I think it, you know, it took any question away, in my opinion, of whether or not you had a legitimate World Series winner. This was the hardest World Series to win. And the idea that you could get bounced in the first round in a best of three. Like, I love that. I understand that, you know, Rob would be worried about, Rob Manfred, that is, about taking away the legitimacy of the regular season. I don't think it's going to be an issue. I really don't. Uh, Because you're going to have home field advantage. You're going to have a high seed. I didn't love that the second place team automatically got a higher seed, three, four, or five. I would get rid of that, right? So the Astros, as an example, they were a sub-500 team but yet they got a sixth seed. They probably should have been the eighth seed. I, I thought that was unnecessary. Um, but, I, of course, division winners should get your first three seeds. I liked it. I would be perfectly yeah. fine if we did it again. I don't think we're going to. And I know that if that first round was best of five, it's probably too long. Mm-hmm. But I think we ended up having 55 postseason games this year, yeah. which is obviously way more than we have ever had. And I was sad when it was over. Like, I never find myself watching the postseason going, man, when is this going to be over? I never feel that way. Right. So I, I would never get tired of if we did it this way. And listen, eventually we're going to have 32 teams. I don't know if it's going to be in two years or if it's going to be in 10. But we're going to have 32 teams at some point. And once we're there, of course, I believe it's an automatic that we have 16 teams in the postseason. You know, you know it's, I've always thought this, even as a player and, and obviously um, post-playing, it's so hard to get to, to as a player to, and as a team to play. And again, I'm, I'm you know, covering the Seattle Mariners, mm-hmm. so that's a little bit more magnified. But – to, to think that you work that hard all year long, you go through the ups and downs, and then only this amount of teams, you have to literally win that one division. Mm-hmm. One team in your one division gets to go. There are so many good players that are never on that stage because they're on that, that team that literally, if they're in the AL East, or sorry, AL Central, whatever, boom, mm-hmm. they're going to the playoffs. Yeah, and, and I just, I, I, I've loved it, man. I, I, I've always said, man, if they could just allow a couple more players to uh, sorry, a couple more teams to get into the playoffs, and then we can see some of the better players playing yeah. on that stage. Yeah, because it it's great. been an issue. Well, it's been an issue, right? The idea we know we have a problem marketing players nationally, mm-hmm. and to think about how many times have we had a wild card team, you know, win a World Series. I mean, yeah. think about how close the Nationals were two years ago to losing that wild card game. Right, that ball bounces by Trent Grisham, bases loaded in the eighth inning. Yeah. All three runs score. They finish it off the next inning. If he makes that play, the Nationals could be bouncing the wild card game, and instead yeah. they're World Series champions. And if they're bouncing the wild card game, they probably change their whole coaching staff again. I mean, it's just nuts, right? The way yeah. that they they do things. And so the, I'm with you. The more teams in there, and the wild card games have been good, uh, but those wild card series were just as good. I, I didn't have an issue, so I'm with you. I hope we get more teams and we continue to push for a bigger postseason format. And one thing too, and I know this is always this has been always a uh, you know something um, with baseball, but with with the rebuilding and going forward and everything else, I feel like it's it's even more now. Maybe just because I've paid way more attention now, I just feel like it's a good fifty. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Fifty or sixty percent of teams that flat out just wave the white flag before spring training even starts and says, "Oh, well, before the off season kicks off, they just sell off. They just say we're going to lose this year." We're going to lose for the next two years, and then we might be good. 
I, I just feel like if there was a way we could fix that where every team, there, there's an incentive for every single team to go into spring training. I felt like, and maybe I'm wrong, and you can help me out here, but I feel like in 2007, like my first year, it's like, regardless of where you are as an organization, you are putting your best 25 guys on our 26 into a clubhouse and we're going to go for it this year. As yeah. opposed to, it's just a, it's a public thing for a GM or an owner or whoever to come out and say, oh, no, 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 we're, we're good. In five years, we'll be good from now. The whole rebuilding thing. Is there mm -hmm. any, like, do you feel like it's more so now than even 10 years ago? I do, because I think even when I was on bad teams, we thought we'd have a chance, right? The years that right. I played in Detroit that we were a bad team, we said, okay, well, if this happens, this happens, and this happens, yeah. maybe we could be in it. Now, the further away you are, the more, the longer that list is, right, of things that have to go right. But they're really, you know, there'll be times, like when I got traded to Detroit, as an example, in 1995, they started emptying out some of their bigger players, and they were getting really young. But they weren't planning on going into a three-year rebuild, necessarily. So you, you have a couple of things. One, I think, from an executive standpoint, when you sell your ownership group or your owner on a rebuild, it buys you some time for your job. And that's, I think it's just a reality. I think it's part of, yeah. you know, think about San Diego and say, so, you know what? Yeah, we went for it. Let's go ahead and get a rebuild. And if your owner likes you and believes the plan, he's going to give you an opportunity to see that out. Not that you're just doing it for job security, but I do think it helps with some job security. There's a lot of turnover, uh, just like you mentioned in broadcasting, there are for executives and managers and coaches. Yeah. We know that. So it buys you some more time. And then the Houston Astros, right? So remember when the Astros did this and they lost 100 games three years in a row and everybody looked at what was going on and said, come on, this is a joke. Like they were obviously in the tank completely. They got the first yeah. overall pick three years in a row. And we watched and remember people thinking, what is this? What are the Astros? What are they doing? And they come out on the back end of that. as it, They had a couple of decent players in their system, but the way that they did it, they ultimately win a World Series. Now that World Series is tainted because we learned that they cheated. So it does poke some holes in that process, I think, yeah. to some degree. We don't look at them exactly the same way. Like we thought they basically reinvented the game and the way that the game should be played and the way that rebuilds are done. And mm -hmm. I think some teams bought into that. Yeah. Uh, the idea ultimately that they did cheat, and I think it's fair to say not to continue to beat them up. I think I've probably done enough of that. Uh, but they did cheat, and I think that needs to yeah. be recognized. But the other thing that happened along the way there is they went back and did things that teams have been doing for years, right? They traded for a veteran. And Justin Verlander, that's not yeah. new. Giving yeah. up prospects to bring in an ace is not new, right? Yeah. They didn't reinvent the game yeah. from that standpoint. They signed Brian McCann. That's not new. Bringing in a veteran at a pretty high contract and bringing in Josh Reddick, bringing in Carlos Beltran because he has had a bunch of success in the postseason. So the way I look, as I look at them as kind of the, the ones that really kind of kick this thing off to the level that it's at now. And then you can sit there and look and say, you know what? It didn't exactly go the way that we all thought it really did. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, they lost the three in a row, but look at their first round draft picks, right? They lost a hundred games three years in a row. Yeah. They had the number one overall pick three years in a row. Only one of them worked out. Carlos Correa. Right. One struggled and retired and the yeah. other one didn't sign because he had something wrong with his arm. Now, because Brady Aiken didn't sign, they ended up getting the second overall pick the next year and they got Alex Bregman. So that did work out for them. But having the number one overall pick doesn't guarantee you anything either. Ultimately, yeah. they had to go back to old school methods, including cheating, to be able to get themselves to be world champions. And they, listen, they've been a good team and they got good players. Um, and they've done some, I think, some things with their pitchers and what, how they teach pitching with Brett Strom and other stuff. And what they did with Garrett Cole, they deserve a yeah. lot of credit for that. But the idea that you have to go into that deep of a rebuild to be successful, it's yeah. a way to save money. It's a way to give you some job life and, and extend that life on your job a little bit. Yeah. But it's probably not as necessary. And expanded yeah, playoffs will help that go away. 
Yeah, it's just for me, I, I feel like it's just alarming when you see the Red Sox do it. I mean, this is a big market team. The Red yeah. Sox should be competitive, you know, for, the, for baseball and, you know, for, for the popularity of the sport and everything else. They kind of have that responsibility, whether, not whether they like it or not, but yeah. they're a big market team. All of a sudden, now they're just, you know, stripping away players to, to all of a sudden rebuild. I just, yeah. if there was any way you could somehow not limit that, but incentivize mm-hmm. these teams to, if you are going to rebuild, you know what? Hey, do it at the trade deadline. You're not playing that, that great this year. Sell it off. But hey, you have to turn this bad boy around within a year or two. I just can't stand yeah. watching half 50% of baseball. They're all, oh, well, we're, we're rebuilding this year. So we're just going to absolutely mm-hmm. tank. And that's okay. I just, you know, that, that's one thing that just drives me nuts. So yeah. I, don't, I don't follow soccer closely, but I've heard people talk about that soccer model, right? That if you're not competitive enough, you drop down a league or whatever. Oh, yeah. I don't know exactly how that works, but something that I don't think they would do that. But I will say, like with the team with the Red Sox, I think they realized that we're not going to be able to sign Mookie Betts, and so they jumped on and took yep. advantage of the trade. I do think the big market teams, when they make a move like that, that it has to be a quick turnaround. They cannot do what the Astros did. Yeah. But then you can sit. The problem you run into, I think, if you're a fan who doesn't like this, or a broadcaster, or anybody that covers the game that doesn't like it, is that when teams are successful. It makes it hard to argue. Now, there have been plenty of teams that have gone to rebuilds that haven't been successful. But when the Rays figure out a way to be competitive the way that they have been, that the Oakland A's trade every good player that turns into a good player away, and yet they're competitive every year, even though they don't have a ring and have had an hard time advancing in the postseason, they're there. The White Sox went into a pretty deep one. Right. And they, but they got a bunch of young players in return and now look where they are. Right. They look like they're about ready to go on a six or seven year run. Maybe that might be a little high five to six year run if they can, where they're going to be right in this thing. And so but, the but pain, then it goes right it, back, and we're about to yeah. see that with the Astros. And then it goes right back into, well, we can't afford all these players because this is kind of our model mm-hmm. now. The ownership says, this is how I want you guys to do this. With yeah. your, like the Houston Astros, there is no way, well, obviously with the cheating and everything else, but even beyond the cheating, before the cheating ever came out, you look at that and say, well, here's the shelf life because you can't, there's eight players that you're going to have to pay money to. This mm-hmm. is going to get dismantled. And you, your draft's obviously going to get weaker because all of a sudden you're winning now, so you're going to be slipping behind in the draft. Yeah. I just think, I don't know, man. I, that's the one thing. I'm, I'm, so I would say this, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not here I, to counteract you because I believe you. I don't like seeing it either. It's not fun to watch. And from our standpoint, it's not necessarily a ton of fun to call. Like we're going to do that in, in Texas this year. It's going to be a developmental year. They've been very clear about that. But they'll, it won't be deep. Like they'll, they'll eventually spend here pretty soon. But think about this. Who would you rather be a fan of? Go back to, I guess it would be 1997, right? So for the last 23 years, let's say, would you rather be a fan of the Marlins or the Braves? <laughs> Right? right. So the Marlins have two rings in that time. The Braves yeah. don't have any, yeah. but the Braves have been a better team over that time. Right. That, They've been a team that's yeah, been more I'll, fun to watch. So who, what do you, do you like? Are you willing to take that chance where, like you said, you go in big, you go in deep. It's at some point you're going to have to pay the price for that, which means you're, you're going to have to get rid of pieces and you can't afford yeah. anything anymore. But if you win the ring, nobody cares. Right. So during that, but the Braves have been consistently good and they've even put stars on the field and I'm sure they've had way more fans than the Marlins, but the Marlins have two rings over that time when the Braves have none. But at least every 12 month turnaround, you're like, man, this, I really want to be invested in this team at least every 12 years, you know, know. but I wonder what fans would say. If you ask the Braves, like a diehard Braves fan who lives and dies and has loved following this team into the new ballpark, everything else, you passed your 14 division titles. um, Who would you rather be a Marlins fan or would you rather be a Braves fan? I mean, they, the Marlins at times were brutal. And then they took their good players and traded all them away, right? You watch Yelich and Ozuna yeah. and Stanton all yeah. leave and driving you crazy. 
but you do have two rings uh, that the Braves did not have over that time. And they essentially did that twice. I mean, 97, they just built it up. The Blue Jays yeah. tried to do that back in like 2012. They just tried to yep. buy up all these guys, didn't work, and yeah. all of a sudden dismantle it. But the, the Marlins essentially did that twice. Yeah. That, I'm looking at that going, man, like it's so obvious, and this is back in the late 90s, that they just completely dismantled. Like, World Series Parade, see yeah. you guys. And we're like, oh, it shocked the baseball world. It shocked the baseball world, didn't yeah. it? Because you're coming out of that era in which the Yankees, of course, were winning consistently. They would never do that. Yeah. And they even ran into some problems. Remember at one point, they stopped adding players for about a year or two there because they were cash-strapped. They had to get through the Teixeira contract. They had to get through the A-Rod contract. They had to yeah. finish off Derek Jeter, right? And the idea that they were not going to add at that time. Now, I thought Joe Girardi did an amazing job of still keeping them competitive during that time when they weren't supposed to be. But even the Yankees, who yeah. we felt like had limitless, limitless pockets, at one point had to say, all right, we're going to stop here for at least a year or two. And I think, too, I mean, some of like the Yankees and the Red Sox, I mean, they draft so well and they develop so well. So the turnarounds will – like the Yankees kind of went through a little bit of a sell-off in a sense. And then and now they've got all these young – like the, the baby bombers, you know, a couple of years yep. ago even. And now all of a sudden, boom, they're, they're competitive again. And now they can, they can sprinkle on that veteran, go out and get that veteran on top of that. And yeah. I think a lot of that has to – see, everyone just thinks these fan bases feel like, oh, we're just going to rebuild. And we're just going to trade away and get all <laughs> these prospects. And, hey, we're good. But there's a big part of – like you have to have the right people in the minor league system that you don't see behind the curtain mm-hmm. developing those players. And, everyone, and, and those kids are coming up. And I don't know if you remember, you know, playing back in the minor leagues or not. You always get those those draftees, those kids, those big prospects. They come in, especially now because it's so public how how much they love them. But yeah. even back then, they'd come in, and these kids are big prospects somewhere else. Someone tells them how amazing they are. They get traded for a superstar, and they come in, and for a good month or so, it doesn't quite work out. And they constantly like, oh, well, back when I was with the Red Sox, this is how it was. <laughs> and then it's just this little cancerous thing. And then all of a sudden, yeah. two years later, they just don't pan out because there's just not that, not blaming the development, but there's just mm-hmm. a different vibe. It's, it's, it's such a, I, again, I just, with all that, I, I just wish there was a way to somehow, and I've got no idea. How well, you, you, can't, well you can't do it. And one of the things people have asked about is, can you do a payroll floor, like at your minimum payroll? But the union has never wanted to do that either. They just don't want to put limits either way uh, because they don't like where that eventually could head. I will say this on on the prospect stuff, and I understand it's an industry, and I never want to knock what MLB Pipeline and Baseball America do. They work really hard, but I kind of wish prospect lists only went five deep. I mean, think about Randy Rosarena was the 19th prospect in the Rays organization this year. And right. so I was joking around, like, yeah, you think they're good now. They got 18 players that are better than him right now in yeah. the minor leagues, yeah. according to their prospect right. list, which, of course, we know is not true. You know, and so it's one of, and you can't predict. It's so difficult. And you know, you've seen it. Jacob DeBrom was never on a, a prospect list. Um, Tristan McKenzie, how about Tristan McKenzie? He comes up with the Indians this year. I don't know if you saw him at all, tall, skinny dude. Yeah. And he pitched great, you know, and he was, it was an exciting arm. He got added to Baseball America's top 100 list after he made like four starts in the big leagues. I'm like, too late. You missed it already. Like he wasn't in your top 100. Now he's dealing in the big leagues. And now you're going to add him? Nope, nope, nope. Too late. You missed it. I, this such a, to me, it was a little bit of a scam. Those big Baseball America, the black and white, like the newspaper style books that you yeah. find in every minor league clubhouse. I remember those kids like tearing him in half because they went on the list. <laughs> it's like, dude, yeah. relax. Like it, There's too yeah. many. And even executives get caught up in it, though. I've heard right. them talk about, you know, I, we don't love where our organization is ranked. You know, we're 25th. We feel like we're better. Who cares? I mean, again, I'm not here to knock those guys, but think about who's doing that. Right. Right. And yeah. all respect to what they're doing. They're working hard. They're doing the best they can. I'm, I don't mean to come across that way, yeah. but the idea that you would even, that even bother you at all 
as a team president or a general manager or somebody in the organization because, man, can you believe our system's ranked 28th? Who cares? Yeah. If you get two big leaders out of there, that's, you've done a good job. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's funny. When, and, and you know what? It's probably a good thing that they're not ranked because you can just sneak up on people, you know? Yeah. Or maybe they feel like, well, they, we don't have trade value when we're talking to 29 other clubs, you know? I, uh-huh. that, that is interesting. That, that's uh, to, to, to hear that. I've got to ask you this, man. I've got this written in big, big letters right here. Taking Blake <laughs> Snell out, Kevin Cash. Uh-huh. Now, this is, I want to ask you, because you're yeah. a very sharp baseball mind, and I love listening to you speak, whether it's on MLB Network Radio or, you know, sometimes I'll flick over and listen to you if we're playing the Rangers, um, your opinion on certain things. Mm. And people have asked me, whether it's people in the game or people like, oh, hey, um, who barely watch baseball. I mean, it yeah. was polarizing the, the yeah. take him out. What, what do you got on that, taking him out in that situation? Yeah, and it was the background tough. of Kevin Cash getting to the World Series and everything else. So I really respect Kevin Cash a ton. And I would say this, one of the things that I admire about him and Dave Roberts, two of the guys that have front offices that are very analytical and believe in what they do, man, they stick to their guns. It's really hard to get them to sway. And I I respect that in a way. There's a part of me that says like, I can, I may have an idea about how I'm going to attack my day. Okay. Today I'm going to do this. I got to rake these leaves. I got to, you know, I got to work out. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got to go pick up my daughter. Next thing you know, by the middle of the day, I'm like, "Ah, I'll do that later or whatever, put something off. Right. But these guys, they have a plan. They stick to it, man. They stick to it. And so that includes how they handle their pitching staffs and they're okay with, you know, taking some of the heat. And I do believe that their mantra is kind of like, you know what, we're going to be a hitter ahead or a batter ahead. We're not going to be a batter behind. If I, if I'm out there a little bit too early, I can live with that. I can't live with, I'm a batter behind because now I've missed it and now it's too late. And now we're going to be coming from behind and we're going to have to become and battling from a deficit is I think is the way that they look at it. There's a mix in there somewhere. There was, I mean, there are eyeballs that you should be able to use in that spot. I mean, that was different. It wasn't like he was pitching. Okay. Or decent. Maybe he's getting a little tired. He was absolutely dominating. And right. Nick Anderson had not been Nick Anderson, maybe the best reliever in baseball the last couple of years, but he was limping into that game at yeah. right? six straight games in which he, I was yeah. worried about him watching some of his command throughout the postseason, not looking exactly like the same guy. The swings and misses were down dramatically for him. I don't know if he's getting tired from the first time pitching this late. And for people that say, well, it was only a 60-game season, I asked enough guys that said, you know what, September still feels like September. My body still feels like it's September, even though it was only a third of a season. So now bring him into late October for the first time, and could there have been some fatigue there? So it didn't. none of it on on, at that moment with your eyeballs and even some paper things uh, made a ton of sense. And so I do think that my guess is that Kevin Cash goes back and he looks at that. And obviously there's a ton of attention paid to it, but says, you know what, that's the time where maybe I can trust my eyes a little bit more. I mean, you're talking about zero for six with six strikeouts against the top of the order. Yeah. I mean, that's absurd. Like that's, that is domination. And that's when it's yeah. okay. I try to use the example. If you remember Ned Yost, when he had that back end of his bullpen, right. Where it was Herrera, uh, Wade Davis and Greg yeah. Holland, they were seven, eight, nine all the time, no yeah, matter what time. Greg yeah. Holland had a streak of like 151 games where he only threw an inning. That's, I mean, absurd. A streak. He never threw more than an inning. And finally, in the postseason, his pitching coach had come to him and said, listen, we can stray from the plan a little bit. Like, if you're going to do it, this is the time to do it. We get that it worked for us during the regular season and had for a couple of years. And all of a sudden, you saw Herrera throwing an inning and a third, an inning and two-thirds, maybe coming in the game in the sixth inning. So postseason time, yes, you have a plan. Stick to your plan to some degree, but you got to trust your eyes. And I think that was one of the most obvious moments. When I saw that move, I mean, I just my stomach started to turn because I wanted to see a yeah. game seven in the worst way and did not have a good feeling about the, how that was going to end up. Do you feel like that move is kind of like the, the statement of – why people are turning away from baseball if they are like you know obviously look i've got no everyone gets all oh, the shifts or the but no i've got no problem with the shift whatsoever <laughs> i mean I, I don't know why people are so upset over the shift like mm-hmm. 
But when it comes to, you know, the old school baseball fans, and again, we've got a lot of ex-players who are on social media who just completely bash the new way of things are done. (laughs) And you do have to have that balance, right? Yeah. But do you feel like that right there is kind of like that, that big punctuation that, sorry, big exclamation point to why people just uh, getting turned away from baseball, taking out the human element? I worry about it a little bit. I don't know if it will have that big of an effect or we have so much more competition. That's part of the reason why ratings will be down just in general. You have a lot of different things that you can watch. I think we were, we were hearing about some fatigue because people had been home so much right. that they were kind of yeah. like getting tired of watching television. And we had the NBA and the NHL at the same time as baseball pretty much for the first time ever. Yeah. So that challenged, I think, our ratings a little bit. But I am concerned with it because there's times where I'm watching the game getting frustrated. And I understand the game's not always going to be the same and the game's going to evolve. But when you see a guy who's performing well yeah. and all of a sudden now he's taken out of the game because you don't love the matchup. I mean, Dustin May, I got really frustrated watching how they treated Dustin May. Like, I want to see this guy make regular starts. He did it yeah. during the regular season. He's yeah. really dominant. You know, Tony Gonsolin's coming in and they're like, well, we, you know, Dave Roberts, I think he said, I hope he, you know, we can get five or six out of him tonight. He faced six hitters and he was out of the game. Yeah, right. right. And the idea that, and I don't love that. I can appreciate if they felt like they didn't have a true starter in that moment and they're using the open. Like, if you're using the open, it's one thing. But if you're using a guy who can start and it probably is capable, mm-hmm. I worry about his development long-term. I worry about what that does to him mentally, right? Can you be, imagine being told? I mean, we as lefty relievers, we eventually get there. And for our generation, it was we only think you can get lefties out, and that was probably accurate. Uh, but until you just deal with it. But to yeah. take an arm like that and say, you know what, in the postseason, I only want you facing seven guys. I don't want you facing the lineup twice. I do worry about the effect a little bit on the players. But I'm with you. There are times where I don't want to say it becomes unwatchable because this is how we make a living. But I could see where potentially it does turn some people away because the games end up being longer and the pace is slower. Right. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, that's one thing, obviously, trying to speed this game up a little bit. Like speaking of that, I should ask you this too, being a lefty specialist, the three batter minimum. (laughs) What do you get on that? So I hated that. I went back and looked. I, I come to find out that 87 times I had pitched. Uh, and face less than three batters. Did in you, my career. I think you posted that you posted this on Twitter, maybe. I, I might have. I might. So the other thing I do I on Twitter, something. I can't go back and look because on my Twitter account, my tweets delete automatically. They don't last. They don't last more than three months. Right. That's just I, with the way that people are crazy <laughs> these days. I yeah. could have said something six months ago that's now offensive. So yeah. I don't even know anymore. So I just I might delete my tweets yeah, delete. So I don't sure. I don't get to see it anymore. So, uh, but something like that. I think it was eighty-seven games, whatever it was, of the three something that I was able to pitch in that I faced. Now sometimes you end the inning and it's not a big deal. But here's why. I hate it. I mean, I would, I don't like the idea of having different rules in the regular season and the postseason, but boy, did I miss it in the postseason. Like Adam Kalerick, that sidearm lefty with the Dodgers, I actually played with him at the very end of my career. And to watch what he could do against lefties, no doubt he's carved out a niche. You limit how often you can use him. There was definitely at least one time where Dave Roberts had him ready, but didn't use him because there was less than two outs and he was worried he's going to have to face more than one hitter. Right. He's going to take that chance with two outs. And hopefully he gets that lefty out and they don't have to worry about it because you can take him out. I just didn't see the upside. I don't feel like the games went any faster. I know this was kind of a sticking point for, for Rob Manfred, but I just, I didn't see it. And um, for those of us that were only good at doing one thing, sort of a little bit, uh, let us have a place in the game. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, it's interesting. All these little rule changes. And and I feel like this year too, just kind of open that floodgates to, All right, now we can experiment. We've got 60 yeah. games and, and we can start making adjustments because that's ultimately what they want to do. And the other thing that kind of concerns me too, I won't keep you too, too much longer on this. Oh, you're fine. But the, um, yeah, the, with the, the, the state, I'm, I'm trying to figure out and get, you know, get a clear cut feeling of the minor leagues, how 
what's good, what's bad. I mean, obviously they, they want to trim. When you think about it on paper, there is a lot of levels to the minor leagues. And when you look mm-hmm. at it from an outsider's perspective, you and I obviously went through it. So we're like, oh, you know, you don't want to do that. It's going to affect a lot of like, you know, small towns that have that, you know, that, that basically yeah. that whole economic ecosystem around that one stadium for the summer, all these little things that, that factor in. What, what's your feeling and what's your take really on the, on the state of the minor leagues and where they stand right now? So I hate saying this because I have a heart for exactly the things you were saying, right? What does it mean to small towns? How important yeah. it is for our game to be spread out throughout the country and even in some rural areas, because there's something to be said for when you're in Billings, Montana, and you get to go watch a Reds rookie league team that you're kind of a Reds fan. At least that no doubt has gotten them some fans. And if you take that away from them and you say, okay, well now you're the golden league or you're the prospect league, but there's no team attached to it. Yeah. I think that makes it a little bit more difficult. Uh, for fans to maybe also become MLB fans. That's my concern there. But from a development standpoint, I do think that there's probably some opportunity to trim. And I think based on what we saw this year, how many players did we see this year that never played above a ball go to the big leagues because there was no minor leagues this year? Unbelievable, yeah. Yeah, and listening to some guys, there was definitely some value to the alternate training sites. Now, in the Rangers' case, they did it right there at Globe Life Field. And Globe Life Park, the old stadium's right across the street. Yeah. So those guys train there, or sometimes they'd be, when the team was on the road, they'd then just go into Big League Stadium with these coaches, and they really got a lot of detailed stuff done. And Josh Young, who's one of the top prospects in a first-round pick from the Rangers for a year ago, talked about how he felt like his development really took off in that environment. And so there may be a place for something like that or, you know, to somehow tighten things up. I'm all for smaller minor leagues because I do think it's more efficient. I just hope that they take better care of the players too. Like, let's see those salaries go up a little bit. Let's make sure those amenities are really good. I understand. Listen, when I got drafted, there was no limit on the draft. Right. Think about the Mike Piazza stories of guys getting drafted in the 63rd round. Gabe Kapler, I think, was a 57th rounder. Like, that's over. Right. Then it went to 50 rounds. Then down to 40. This Last year, we only did five. Who knows where we're going to be at this year? I don't know if I've seen anything official, if it's, if it's going to be 20 or if it's going to be 30. But right. the idea of shrinking it is probably more effective. It's yeah. probably more efficient. I do think players – got. I'm a believer in pushing them along a little bit quicker. I know it doesn't always work out. I'm not saying rush guys, but there's probably mm-hmm. an, an opportunity for that. So I do think you know, it's probably good for the game because, remember, too, they want the guys younger, right? They want them in the big leagues younger. Yeah. And they want, if they got a good player, they want him there when he's 21 and get those prime years, 22, get those prime years locked in, and then maybe you move on from him. So yeah. I hate the economic negativity that comes with this and jobs that are lost. I mean, it breaks my heart. But if I'm being – Honest and I'm being objective, I think from a development standpoint, it's probably better. Yeah, it's interesting. I talk to non-baseball people, especially back in Australia, and I try and explain the minor league. They're like, how come we got so many teams? Like, I, I, <laughs> well, think about how it used to be when there's class D and E and oh, organizations had eight to ten minor league Crazy. teams back in the day, and it's almost like if you didn't play minor league baseball, you must have been really terrible. Yeah, 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 <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it's like, a, oh, you're minor league? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and I've always said this too, and, and you talk about the alternate training site. One thing I'd love to see, and, and not that you know, I'm ever going to run a team or anything like that, but – the standard four o'clock batting practice where you're just facing a guy, he's getting close. You'd love to see, and, and this is something that's kind of, you know, you, 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 the game's so progressive now with the way guys train and prepare and everything else. You'd love to see like maybe if, if you are a bench player and you do need to get some reps against live pitching, you could have an alternate site next to your, next to your stadium or close to mm. that. Hey, head out there at 2 PM. You're going to face live pitching or you guys are going to face off. You guys are going to see how this reacts and, and whatever else from a in-season preparation as opposed to just taking the bp of four o'clock the same speeds you know same rotation on that ball everything else you know i mean could be it was almost like what we saw with the taxi squad this year when they traveled 
is there an opportunity to maybe have something like that during the regular season right. where you have say five like guys that, yeah, if whatever the number is, right? Maybe they do travel or maybe it's only at home and they can go back to the AAA affiliate later, but for a week they come train, you know, with the big league team or they do it, like you said, at two o'clock and they go with the high spin rate machine on the on the mound or they bring pitchers with them and they're working each other and there's an opportunity to develop. I, I do think that we're going to see some creative ideas pop out of this. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Mike Trout, never takes batting practice he's uh-huh. like oh yeah mess me i'd rather get like semi and turn cranks that machine up in the in the cage and it's yeah. like a hundred you know bust now i'm just there's got to be little ways you, you you sort of think when you see this I, I just think this year as crazy as it was 60 games no fans yeah it, it was it was tough man i'm not gonna lie like watching and and I, I felt like it was just kind of like okay let's just try and get to the end of this it wasn't uh-huh. that feeling of oh you know i'm i'm covering baseball i felt like there, there was a lot lost but um, it was different. Yeah, it was different. But uh, CJ, look, I've kept you too long, mate. Uh, this has been awesome. I, I've, I've really it, enjoyed it. I, I appreciate it. And, and one other thing too. So you, you actually had you had COVID at the end of the season. I did. Yeah, I ended up uh, having it, contracting it. I had about a week left of games. I think there was there was about ten or eleven days left in the season. Right. I wasn't feeling particularly good one day, and I woke up and, and checked my temperature and was within the range. So I still went to work and and took some medicine. Did a game that night. Uh, told guys, I was like, hey, just you know, maybe keep your space. I think I'm okay. I thought I was just run down for I had did, kind of did, a busy week. Did you guys week. sit next to each other in the booth? Well, we were far apart anyway. We were already probably – that booth is huge. It's a new ballpark. So we were already – at one point we were plexiglass kind of next to each other, maybe five or six feet away with plexiglass in between. But we decided ultimately just to sit on opposite ends of the booth. So I was right. 12 to 15 feet away yeah, from yeah. my partner anyway. And we, were, we did the opens – to start the show from two different cameras like we just very easy to avoid everybody but i said hey you know what this everyone keep an extra distance today just i'm okay i'm not feeling great but probably nothing but let's just be safe did the game that night felt better as the game went on quite honestly woke up the next morning did radio uh got a call from my boss he said hey some people said you weren't feeling so great let's go ahead and get you a test just to play it safe okay no problem um and i actually was just taking a nap after doing super early radio so i woke up got the test they called me back you're positive i was like oh no way and so the, how I you, felt that you found out the same day. Yeah. They're real quick. They have a, I guess it was about a 45 minute turnaround this test in Texas Good. because every time I left to go back home to Atlanta and came back to do games, I had to get tested. Okay. You know, and so I'd I always felt, yeah, I was, you know, I was negative every single time. And then this one came back uh, positive. And the worst I felt was the day before that I was tested positive. Wow. And so I had to go into quarantine and that kind of shut down my season. The only thing, and this is, and listen, it's a tragedy and there's terrible things going on. Um, I will say this. I don't think I've ever for about four or five days. I never slept better. Like I, I you know, I joke with my wife. I'm like, I miss my COVID sleep. Like if I could yeah, get right. a solid eight or nine yeah. hours and get a two hour nap in. Now it might've been cause I was also sitting around doing nothing, you know, in a hotel room for a while. And just maybe that contributed to sleeping really great. But I felt fortunate, uh, a little bit of a cough, but really nothing, nothing bad at all. And I had plenty of people had reached out and said, Oh, here, here's my symptoms. Like, you know, guys, my age, same kind of health status. I was sick for two weeks. I got a, that seemed like a different symptom every day. Uh, my sister who lives in upstate New York and is a nurse up there uh, had it and she coughed terribly for like two weeks and couldn't shake it. That was in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, so I felt like I got really lucky. Nobody, thank God, nobody in the booth got it. Um, you know, none of the broadcasters, nobody that worked at the stadium. So I would have felt awful. If anybody else had gotten, I would have felt terrible uh, about that. And then nobody in my family got it. My son got it at college, but he was fine. But as far as the people that I came in contact yeah. with once I got home. So I'm grateful that I don't feel like I gave it to anybody. Um, 
and I, I'm grateful that I didn't didn't really have too bad of an experience with it. Yeah, and you, and you said you basically get regularly tested, right? Every time you go to the stadium and everything else. Not every time you go to the stadium. So the yeah. way that we were doing it was just every time I left town and had right, to get on an airplane. I got you. Uh, and then when I came back in, but no, they would take your temperature every day, yeah. you know, and keep an eye on it. And like I said, even when I had it, my, I never saw triple digits. You know, yeah. I saw like a mid, like high 90s, like maybe 99. I felt like I was yeah. borderline, but I'm like, well, you know what? If at 99, I'll go in. Cause I yeah. feel like I'm still in range. Cause I think they wanted 100.4 was the number that they were concerned about. And I never got there. Um, and they even tested me twice that day. Cause they knew that I wasn't feeling great. Tested yeah. when I walked in, yeah. tested in the middle of the game and still never, uh, never saw a dangerous number. So. And then did you get tested a couple of days later to give you positive? So, no, you know what's funny about that? So you, you start digging in a little bit more. Obviously the information has kind of been all over the place, but it seems yeah. like that period in which you can give it to anybody else is only about five days. Right. And then I had a covert expert with the Rangers and then another one with Fox that I talked to about you know, how I treat this thing. Yeah. And, they, and they told me, listen, when you just, whenever you have your last symptom, go 10 days from there and you're fine. Wow. And really, he said the number seven, but we do tend to be safe. Gotcha. And so I just stayed away from everybody, stayed quarantined. And so I was like, oh, should I get another test? But then like you have like the Randy Rosarena situation, right? Where yeah. he was asymptomatic, but to test a positive for a month. Yeah, right. You know, so I just right. waited. And even when I got back home, I kept my distance. And I didn't do anything like get near any of the mm -hmm. kids Little League stuff or any sports yeah. for like at least a couple of weeks. I, I was over, over cautious with it. But I never did get the follow-up test because even my sister who told me, she was like, listen, you may still test positive even though you're not spreading it anymore. Yeah, you know, I have to go in uh, December. I got to go to Australia. I got to quarantine in a hotel room. Locked mm -hmm. window. They, they, they take your room key. Like they Come on. In a hotel room. You don't get a room Why key. do they lock your window? No fresh air? Dude, no, I swear I'm not. I'm not exaggerating here. I'm not trying to like create. Yeah. I just had my uh, my business partner just went over there for two weeks, mm -hmm. did the, the hotel quarantine. And I'm like, oh, at least you know, like you open the window and stick your head. He goes, no, 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 <laughs> the window's locked. <laughs> I'm like, what? And and, and and oh, dude, he's like, yeah, there's like, um, you know, there's like, you get police escorted from the from the airport. You don't know where you're going. Until yeah. you know, he was sitting on the bus and he's like, okay, what hotel are we going to? Um, this bus is going to uh, this hotel. He's like, oh, thanks. Like, cause wow. he's like, he knew we had to do the two week quarantine. So he was trying to figure out, could he get a treadmill in the room or where could uh -huh. he get sent to, or his mom wanted to drop stuff off and they police escort you. He, everyone has a, a, you know, basically a um, military police next to him uh -huh. off to a hotel and, and he's in the hotel, take the key. And uh, wow. yeah. He, Did he get lucky at all with a decent hotel? Because I've seen some stories about people getting like sweets in Fiji. Dude, yeah, he 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 was in a nice room. He was in a nice room. Like, I think there was like five oh. options, and one of them is terrible. Yeah, and I the bet. rest of them were pretty decent. Yeah, that's tough. So when the COVID guy that I had talked to when I when I was in the hotel, I said, "Listen, do, do I need to be trapped in this room? I was on the eleventh floor yeah. of where I was staying, and he was like, he's like, listen, no, it's just like don't touch elevator buttons, mm -hmm. don't go near.' He's like, if you have your mask on." Yeah. And you're not within speaking distance for 15 minutes. Even if you have it, you're fine. Just keep right. your mask on. But I knew the hotel was a little weary. So I just, I stayed in my room anyway. Because yeah. I was like, man, I'm going to go stir crazy. He's like, listen, you can go out and walk around outside and get fresh air. Just keep your distance. Right. People can't catch it from you, you know, X amount of feet away. I just use precaution. Um, yeah. But I, I didn't. And I just stayed in there anyway, just, yeah. to, just to be safe. But yeah. I, and I understand that, you know, I know some people are really freaked out about it. And I respect that. Yeah. Uh, even like today, I was out with my son earlier. And, you know, he's been in school. Like, we've been lucky where we are. My, my, my son has been in full-time school since the yeah. first week in August. Right. Like, it just hasn't been. You know, somebody gets it, they take, and it hasn't been much. Yeah. They take that kid out of school. Anybody that sits around and comes out, and they quarantine, yeah. and they've really done a good job. But I, we were, were in a home improvement store, and I was like, hey, um, 
I would, you know, wear a mask when we're in there. I was like, Hey, you got, you should put one on too. And he just wasn't used to it. Cause they're not doing it at school. Yeah. I was like, you know what? It's one of those things. I'm not worried about you getting it. I'm not worried about you giving it to anybody, but let's just make everybody feel better. Yeah. I think it comes out of more of like, just cause I know people are stressed, yeah. you yeah. know? And so that's why I ended up just staying in the room. Cause I don't want to stress out anybody else. I wasn't worried really about giving it to anybody, but more yeah. of just making sure everyone. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. I, I feel like that, man. Like the, the whole, the whole mask thing comes with, no one wants to make eye contact with each other. It's mm. it's this whole like look on everyone's face. It is, when you're yeah. out and you do things, it's a, it's a little uncomfortable and tense yeah. and I feel bad. I even noticed it today and I was like, what's going on? Like, you yeah. know, people, because I'm wondering, I, I feel like one of the upsides of this is that we will be better about personal space. I think we maybe have struggled with that a little bit yeah, leading sure. up to this. Um, so will that help? But I, my wife says it all the time and I say when I'm out, I'm like, yeah, I do notice you know, as I'm sitting here going through the home improvement store looking for something that I feel like it's just a little bit, yeah. everyone's just a little bit tense and concerned and I get it. And so I try to do what yeah. we can not to contribute to that. Yeah, I will say this: the the, the gym I work out is ex extremely clean. I'm like, wow, yeah. this is like, <laughs> everyone's wiping everything down. You guys should do but, this all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hey, maybe, yeah, um, not, yeah. But uh, anyway, CJ, this has been fun, man. I'm going to let you go, but uh, hopefully, you it, come on again another time. Talk baseball. I had a lot of other things I wanted to cover, but uh, yeah, we just we got caught up in it, which is a good thing. It's a good. <laughs> yeah, thing. absolutely, brother. Enjoyed it, man. Anytime. Oh, yeah, awesome, CJ. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, hope you enjoyed that episode of The Top Step with CJ Nikowski. Man, we can dive into it, that's for sure. That was a lot of fun. Have a great episode coming up next week. I'm going to keep it a mystery, but make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter and you will see some of the videos, some of the previews for that. Also, too, make sure you go to www.thetopstep.com slash podcast and you can click on wherever you listen and you can subscribe and you can tell your mates. You can leave a review and you can enjoy this show. I appreciate it, guys. I will see you next week right here. Killing them, killing them, killing them, killing them, killing them, killing them.